This is I Should Probably Change, the podcast where we take steps towards intentional living one change at a time. We explore what it looks like to put faith into action in practical, tangible ways that really add up. I'm your host, Bryony Wells, and it is so good to have you here. Hello and welcome to the I Should Probably Change podcast. I am so thankful that you are joining me in this second season. Really enjoyed being back and pressing record after a little bit too long of a break. And today we're going to be diving into the topic of minimalism. We're going to talk about what the word actually means. And I'm going to share a bit of my journey. And we're going to ask the question, as always, of what does the Bible say? And does minimalism have a place in the life of a disciple? Or is it just a lifestyle fad? And I hope you will stick around to listen. Okay, so I want to be totally honest here. As I press record and I look around the room, I am not sat in a, you know, white room with only a few objects carefully curated in it. You know, I'm sat in a living room. I'm surrounded by a lot of cushions (laughs) to help uh, with my sound recording. Um, But I can also see plants and pictures and books and a few DVDs and some Duplo that the kids have left out. And yet I would describe myself as someone who is becoming a minimalist. And I think if you came to my house, um, you probably wouldn't think, oh, wow, a minimalist lives here. I think you probably just think it was quite tidy. Um, and it's not tidy because we're particularly a particularly tidy family. And my son's bedroom would be a testament to that. But simply because over several years, we have gotten rid of lots of the excess of life. And now everything, or okay, most things <laughs> have a place And there is a real level of intentionality about what we bring into our home. About six years ago, my husband Rich came home from work um, with a book that some one of his colleagues had handed him. And it was one of Marie Kondo's books, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. And it wasn't um, it wasn't quite as world famous at that point. So I didn't know anything about her. Um, But as we read her book, we got really inspired about decluttering and getting rid of the excess in our life. And we spent the next six months slowly going through every cupboard and every drawer, taking countless bags to the charity shop and generally getting rid of lots of things we realised we just didn't need. And we even voted a sofa out of the house. But fast forward six years and Marie Kondo's Netflix show is a huge global success Her book, originally written in Japanese by an unknown author, has been translated and has sold over 10 million copies in 42 countries. And over a million photos on Instagram are tagged today with the word declutter. You know, the minimalism movement has gained a lot of speed over the past decade. And it was certainly um, sped up, wasn't it, by the events of 2020 as people spent more time at home and started to want to shape their space differently. You know, there are a few definitions of minimalism knocking around. Um, Marie Kondo's aim is to remove anything that doesn't spark joy. Some people only keep what is useful or beautiful. And the description that I like the best is from the author Joshua Becker, who says, minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. We say that again. Minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it. 
I love that quote because it works for every area of our life, not just my things. It shapes, you know, how I fill my diary, what I eat. It can be relevant when I think about the media that I consume. Because minimalism is more than just a design aesthetic. It's not just about living, you know, an austere life with no pleasure from material things. It's about choosing with great intention what we're going to place value on and enjoy. So how does all that relate to the life of a disciple? I mean, is minimalism just a great idea from the world that we can incorporate or not because it's not a Jesus thing? You know, a friend um, once said to me in passing, you know, I'm not a minimalist, nor would I want to be, which really made me think because if this is just a lifestyle choice, then sure, we can take it or leave it. And I'm convinced that if minimalism is indeed a tool to aid the intentional promotion of the things that we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it, then that actually maybe it's something we need to think about as disciples. Because the truth is that I can talk lots about our family's journey towards minimalism and simplicity. And I can tell you all the reasons why, you know, from a deep place in my heart, I don't want to own lots of things. And yet under pressure, you know, cue the challenges of 2020, the over accumulation of stuff is still my go-to, it's still my battle. And if we're honest, I think most of us would identify with that battle that that draws us into the wanting more and the wanting better things and stuff. You know, our world is wired towards putting that desire into us. So I want to have a look at one specific place where Jesus talks about possessions and what we value. And this isn't the only place, but I think it's a really good place to start. And so this is what Jesus says in Matthew 6 verses 19 to 23. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these words are taken from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' amazing teaching on, on what his kingdom looks like, what a world ruled by Jesus and living in step with his way will look like. These words sit right in the middle of chapter six, which is sandwiched in between teaching on money, prayer, fasting and worry. And it's a, it's a really great chapter with so much practical application for us today. But I'm going to zoom in on just this short passage. And in this passage, Jesus talks about two different kinds of treasure. So I want us to think for a moment about the nature of treasure. Like treasures are simply anything that we value. In anything we prioritize. You know, my treasure isn't necessarily your treasure. The things that come up on my bank statement won't be the same as you. You know, my husband loves his bike. Well, I'm less bothered about it. <laughs> my children have many hidden treasures squirreled away in their bedrooms. We give treasure its value. We decide what holds value for us in our lives. And more often than not, the things we value become our priorities. And that's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we value shapes our hearts. And in turn, what is in our heart shapes what we decide to value. That's why this isn't just a conversation for the affluent. Though many of us are way more affluent than we realize, 
But these words were spoken by Jesus to a crowd of local people. Probably some rich people were in there, but we can make an educated guess that many of the people who Jesus was speaking to were poor materially. And yet these words about priorities still hold true for them. We can all choose where our heart finds its home. The treasure that we store up are the things that turn our heads. It's not about a price tag. Now, there is nothing wrong with treasuring things or having value to our possessions, our our clothes, giving value to our car, our house, our stuff. Jesus isn't concerned with us having stuff. In fact, we should give thanks for and enjoy what we have as as gift. But what Jesus is concerned about is the storing up of treasure. Jesus is bothered about the over-accumulation of stuff, the storing up of things. And the truth is that for many of us, storing up creates a feeling of security. And if we know that we have extra, we feel safe, don't we? We, we feel protected from an unpredictable and an uncertain world. And we, we only need to look at the panic buying at the start of the 2020 lockdown to see this in action. And Jesus knew that the people listening to him that day needed to be reminded about where their security was really found. Because this was an oppressed people living in a really uncertain time. There must have been so much temptation you know, to store up to try and create security for themselves. And Jesus makes his position really clear on this. He says that what you store up, what you value will end up leading your heart. So if storing up treasure is really, you know, chasing after security, then I think the question we kind of need to ask ourselves is, am I storing up treasure? Because deep down, I think it's going to insulate me from the harms of an uncertain world. Water, clothes, food and shelter do give us security. But that list is pretty short and most of us have all of those things. And we so easily confuse needs with wants, don't we? I mean, I know I do. You know, in our Western culture, the norm is that we collect lots of stuff. We work lots to pay for it and buy bigger and bigger houses to store all that stuff. We plan around what job will give us the most money, therefore more savings, because that will provide security. We worry about how our company will weather the storm and start to plan how we will jump ship. Obviously, we are you know, still in a global season of uncertainty after the events of the last two years, where it feels like things are very insecure. And that need to create security is strong. You know, wanting to feel secure is a basic human need. But when we meet that need for security with the accumulation of things to almost create a kind of safe padding, like a big duvet around us, then we're in danger of looking to those things for security. And in the passage, Jesus talks about moths and vermin and thieves coming to destroy the earthly treasures that people have stored up. You know, the threat of losing everything was very real to them. But 2,000 years later, you know, we have mothballs, we have pest control, we have CCTV, lockable safes. And so that kind of day-to-day threat is just less obvious, isn't it? But any of us who live through the recession of 2008 and all of us who are living through this current moment know that anyone who thinks they are totally secure is building their lives on sand and it can disappear in a moment. Jobs can be lost, savings can disappear, our health can suffer 
houses can be taken from us. Jesus's words of warning are even more relevant, I think, today when we constantly choose to put our security in man-made sources. And if that's the problem, if that's the issue of the human heart that Jesus is trying to get to here, then what, what is his remedy? And in the passage, he directs us to store up for yourself treasures in heaven. But what does that mean? Because that feels like a bit of an odd thing to say. So what is the treasure that Jesus wants us to store up? Well, to be honest, Jesus doesn't say explicitly, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> and there were, But there are clues throughout the rest of chapter six. Two phrases are repeated and repeated. Your father sees and your father knows. Now, your father who sees in secret will reward you is verse four and verse six and verse 18. And then your father knows what you need comes up in verse eight and verse 32. God is always pursuing a relationship with us. He wants to see and know us. Therefore, the treasure that we are storing up is our relationship with him. We learn to live in the presence of our loving heavenly father. That is the treasure that brings true security. Relationship is the treasure from which everything else flows. So storing up treasure is investing in that relationship. It's in that place where we feel secure, where we're able to trust God to provide the rest. One practical thing um, that our family have found really useful in this area is that from Friday evening to Saturday evening, we have a practice of Sabbath, a day to rest and to cease working. And in the Ten Commandments, God instructs his people to have a day, a week where all work ceases. And Sabbath was God's reminder to his people that he was their God, a day where they could stop working and everything would be okay. And I, I talk about this um, in the podcast in season one, if you want to go back and listen, and I kind of fully unpack Sabbath. But our simple family kind of rules, if we want to call them that, are no work, no screens and no shopping. And for me, the element of not shopping has really been helpful because I know I need to let everything cease and focus on resting and letting God be God in our lives. And this practicing of ceasing our kind of like ant-like activity um, of either working to store up or buying things to store up, it naturally focuses our eyes back on Jesus and often reveals the places where we've put identity and our ability to provide for ourselves. The payoff of living like this is huge because choosing not to store up and instead intentionally investing in our relationship with God means that the times of uncertainty can hit us, but we're not shaken because we have a security in our soul which will not be knocked off course because it is based in relationship, not in things. As a family, um, many of you who listen to the podcast or follow me on, on social media will know that we spent most of 2019 and 2020 trying um, to move to South Wales to what would have been a complete life change for us. Um, we came across a crazy amount of problems with doing that. And recently um, we decided it was right to lay down that plan which was and still remains challenging, but definitely was the right decision. But we lived in uncertainty for nearly two years. And I can confidently say that actually during this time of having very little security about the future, God reminded us time and time again that he wanted our security to be in him. You know, some days when the whole process was particularly stressful, to be honest, I found myself, you know, buying clothes generally we found ourselves having you know through sheer desperation 
to press more and more into that intimate relationship with God. And in that place, my testimony is that I have found my treasure there. I have found treasure in meeting with God, who is just way less bothered about the material things of my life and very bothered by the state and the affection of my heart. Now, embracing minimalism has helped us to cut away the noise, prevent ourselves from being distracted and to turn to God rather than things for security and a sense of belonging. And when I really struggled at points last year and when I caught myself buying more things as an escape and as a way of just creating that duvet around myself, those are the points when I... Um, God was just very gracious, I think, to keep reminding me of like, that's not that's not going to bring the true comfort. That's not going to bring the true security that you're seeking. So to go right back to the beginning and that definition from Joshua Becker, if minimalism is the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of anything that distracts us from it, then as followers of Jesus, we are holding that relationship with him as our most dearest treasure, the thing that we value above all else. It therefore follows that anything that distracts us from that, whether you know it's a packed schedule with too many commitments or the desire to consume and buy more things, those desires need to be examined. For me, buying stuff does distract me from my relationship with God coveting things, striving for more, you know, it all becomes a distraction which leads me away from finding my contentment in Jesus and my relationship with him and the things that he has given me and the things he's called me to. And so while it might feel like deciding to declutter or downsize or buy less are very unspiritual things, if done with a heart that is wanting to simplify so that God's voice can be heard above the racket of consumerism or our own desires, well, then I think that's exactly the kind of thing that you would find a disciple of Jesus doing. Yes, me clearing out my kids' toys again maybe looks very unlike a spiritual discipline of, say, you know, studying my Bible every day. But it can be no less part of my discipleship in the way of Jesus if it means as a family we are keeping things, you know, our earthly treasures in their place. So as we finish, we're going to jump into a few practical tips for starting the process of becoming a little bit minimalist. (laughs) This list isn't meant to be exhaustive. Um, People much cleverer than me have written books on it, um, which... I'm not going to try and expand in in just a couple of minutes, but rather this is supposed to be just a few ideas for things you could do this week to get off the starting block. Firstly, know your why. Don't declutter for the sake of it. You really have a vision for why you want to own less. This might require some prayer, some reflecting more on that passage that I've unpacked today, or maybe reading some more more around this kind of topic. There's three books that I would really, really recommend. The first one is The More of Less, um, which is by Joshua Becker, which is just a great introduction. He's a pastor who went on a journey himself through minimalism. And he also has a blog called Becoming Minimalist, which has just been really helpful to us over the last sort of six years. Um, Celebration of Disciplines by Richard Foster, which is an old book, but a brilliant one. He does an excellent chapter on living simply. And then The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, um, which is John Mark Homer's book where he talks about um, Sabbath and about minimalism um, and just that kind of pruning of our lives. Um, So those would be my kind of top three resources. Secondly, very practical, 
is um, to make a date in your diary to begin. You know, begin small, maybe just 30 minutes a day and aim for one room a week. So just starting really small because it can feel really overwhelming to tackle everything. But little by little, it really, really does add up. And once you have a box for the charity shop, take them there. I just drove around with a lot of... (laughs) a lot of stuff um, in my car for quite a long time and finally and kind of most practically if you don't know where to start start in the bathroom most people don't keep their most sentimental items next to the bath so it's just a really good place to begin um, especially because there's probably a whole ton of unused and unwanted bottles and tubes that are well overdue a clear out in fact we we um, were looking at a pe- some medication <laughs> we had some germaline um, in a cupboard that went out of date 12 years ago which is really worrying um so start in the bathroom if you want a really simple way of just beginning this process of reducing the things that you don't need the bathroom's a good place to to do that to practice now these would all seem like utterly unspiritual things wouldn't they <laughs> completely but i guarantee you that the more we kind of challenge the mindset which would tell us to store up or to keep just in case you know to over accumulate the more opportunity we will give God to reveal his nature as our provider, our sustainer, and the only place we can ever really truly find our security and rest. Thanks for listening. Uh, Please do subscribe to this podcast if you've enjoyed it. Do leave me a review or share a screenshot on Instagram. That would be amazing. It's great to hear that people are listening and kind of just sharing this stuff. Thank you for listening. And until next time, let's keep looking for where God is leading us so that we can make steps towards intentional living one change at a time.